welcome to another episode of the Lazy Moms Podcast. This is your host, Caroline. And today I have my friend, my sorbor, Ellie. Woo! Hi. <laughs> thank you for joining me tonight, Ellie. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course, of course. I'm really excited to be here, really. These are important topics, so I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. I'm so happy you can be here. I'm glad you're, I know you have a busy schedule and having the little ones. So I definitely understand trying to carve out some time to talk is difficult. (laughs) For sure. It really is. But you know, as a mom yourself, you kind of know how we just learn over time. We're still work in progress. We are learning to balance it all as you're going. Um, That's right. So to our listeners out there, as you already know, I have four little children. So <laughs> you probably gonna hear them in the background. Warn them, but you know, they don't listen. So we're just gonna keep it moving. <laughs> and that is okay. That is okay. I'm sure I can hear my screaming over there. So it's part of the process and we'll just accept it. It really is. It really is. And like today I I wanted to talk to you about motherhood and mental health and self-care because this is this is a really big topic there's a lot of mothers out there who silently deal with mental health issues um upon having a child or multiple children (laughs) and they tend to forget about self-care and that is the best i mean the best way to take care of how can you take care of another person if you can't take care of yourself so um, these this is the these are the topics that we're gonna tackle on tonight, mm-hmm. and Ellie's our expert in this topic. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to dive in. Mental health is definitely um, my field and my career, and of course, being a mom, so I'm super mm-hmm. excited to combine both worlds, you know, together. So yeah, so you understand with being a mental health counselor and a mom how they both intertwine because like I said earlier you know a lot of moms do deal with mental health issues once they have children I was reading in um I was just reading a little while ago um on the internet I think on NAMI on NAMI's website mm-hmm. about um how some women they not only suffer from postpartum depression when they have kids but they also suffer from anxiety mm-hmm. and um what is it? PTSD, which is, I didn't even realize that some mothers suffer from PTSD after having children. They do. That's that's new to me. Have you encountered any mothers who've had, who've gone through this? Yes. I have had a couple of clients actually, I would say who struggle with postpartum anxiety and postpartum mm-hmm. depression. I've had a lot of clients definitely with a depression component post, um, post-pregnancy. post uh, With the PTSD, not so much, but I can certainly see how that will come about because depending mm-hmm. on if your pregnancy was traumatic, right? Or mm-hmm. if you've had someone who, like for example, the woman was raped, right? Before getting pregnant. Right. 
so you know all of that and certain people you, the birth process or the birth journey it's not easy cut cut as we may see it on tv or on certain movies you know it right. could be extremely um scary traumatic mm-hmm. dangerous so all of those things you know on top of as you know the sleepless nights right oh so, yes trying to trying to be a new mom and, and trying to conform to this norm of societal norm that we as a society right have created um mm-hmm. so over time some of the symptoms you know it can get to the point where it become ptsd it can at time just be pts but over time right. it can become ptsd for sure wow mm-hmm. i that that's that definitely something that i i didn't know yeah. but i know there are a lot of out there who do suffer from postpartum depression mm-hmm. and sometimes I don't know sometimes for me I think does it is it something that only happens when you initially have a child or can it be something that continues on throughout your the parenting journey because I feel like there's moments mm-hmm. and this is just for me there's moments where I've had where I'm just like oh my gosh mm-hmm. I literally need a moment Mm-hmm. Like and I, I can't get one. And these kids are asking me to do this, do that, with this. I'm hungry. I'm this. I'm this. And I and I haven't had a moment to really sit and even be in my own thoughts or even like de-stress or anything. And I've had moments where I just don't want to move. I just don't move. They're asking me, and I'm just sitting there right. because my mind is like, I can't. I can't. Not right now. I can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. A postpartum. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, it can take up to a year after birth. So it's not just those first six months where certain people would say, you know, um, you know, the sleepless nights, right? Mm-hmm. Or you may not have this support in that moment. So your body is reacting to the change of hormones within your body. It's not just right. that. It could be external factors. It could be even during your pregnancy journey that you didn't really take good care of yourself so certain people it can take up to a year but you know our bodies are different so for others it can actually go past that one year mark wow mm-hmm. i don't like it can last that long that's yeah wow. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i and feel like a lot too. oh go ahead no, I was going to say another thing, too. Like, if you were to be depressed during your pregnancy, like with my last pregnancy, I was very depressed in that pregnancy. So the doctors really thought that that's um, uh, it's a sign to show that after delivery, I can potentially, mm-hmm. you know, be diagnosed with postpartum depression. But then that wasn't wow. the case for me. I was only depressed during pregnancy. Um, so it, it just depends on how your body works. Yeah. Wow. So what can cause a, a new mom to, and not even a new mom, even a mom who's had a, who's had one or two kids and they've had a, they're having another one, and they go through this depressive state. Like what what can cause cause this to happen? So first, when we look at depression as a disorder, it's uh, I think it's important to sort of talk about the symptoms of depression. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. the lack of. Um, uh, lack of motivation to do things, you know, uh, your sleep pattern, um, diet, your nutrition, how often you're eating or how often you're sleeping or not sleeping, right? Uh-huh. The amount of time that you are, um, um, your your energy level, right? The motivation that you're liking, the constant worry about certain things. And most uh-huh. people or certain people, the suicidal ideation is a big part of depression too. 
you know um and so with that and, and imagine not having the motivation to you, you you lack interest in things that you once enjoy you know as your new mm-hmm. mom you want to take cute pictures of your baby you know that's right dog, you know and all of that but then you're looking at her like who 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 who, who is this stranger you know there's like right. there's so all of those things that like it you know on top of what the what your body just went through physically to right bundle of joy so just imagine that constant that your body's going through and your mind your brain is really not functioning at a pace that it should be functioning so therefore mm-hmm. it creates a whole lot of different dynamics which will also affect other relationship around you right wow, uh, especially yeah. if you don't have that support system mm-hmm. but i feel like sometimes even if you have that system you still mm-hmm. can like suffer from depression or postpartum I know yeah. for me personally I had I have four children and they were all back to back to back so I felt like I never actually got a chance to like recoup from each pregnancy before um the next one happened Except between my third, my um, second and my third, there was a long, there was like maybe a a year or two gap. Mm. So that was like the only time that I ever got to like really recoup. But um, with the first two and then the last two, I never had that time in between. And I I wouldn't call it postpartum, but I had those moments of just like, I, I can definitely say I was depressed (laughs) but I definitely masked it well and I feel like a lot of women do that like when people ask me hey are you okay I'm always like yeah I'm fine I'm fine and I'm not fine but I'm gonna tell you I'm fine (laughs) so what's going on with me like I'm just sad about everything I don't really always want to do anything or like when I do it's just kind of like like you said earlier I, I I'm sleep deprived because I've had children or, you know, and it, it was, it's always, I feel like I went through it, but I've never actually gotten, um, I was never actually diagnosed, but I, I can definitely see how that can, that can happen because for me, my experience, I, I, I never had, I always felt like I always felt so sad. Sadness <laughs> mm-hmm. is a big thing. It, it really is. For some people, you know, I think a lot of times when people think of depression, they, they see that sadness component. Certain people get angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they're depressed, they get super angry. It shows up differently with different people. Even with, you know, um, so you really got to, even when you are in tune, like you said, like if you have that support, it still may not, like you you, you, you may not know what it is that you're feeling because there's so much happening. That sense of right. overwhelmingness that's coming over you, right? And mm-hmm. you don't even know how to express it to someone like, hey, I need this help or... Uh, or you know this is what's happening so give me this or even articulate what's happening as you can hear oh my, my little one is making a fuss <laughs> outside you know uh, okay. yeah so you know it, it, it really is uh, it, it, it's sad because as a society we've learned over time not to be vulnerable and share some of these things right because they will right. use me differently they mm-hmm. would probably see my weakness because it's supposed to be I have to be strong. You oh, know, gosh. but through yeah. that strength, 
right we are not able to take care of ourselves at all it's a facade that sadly as a society you know sometimes it just bothers me to call myself society because I am part of society <laughs> I make up with it too but we have created this genormous as my son would say genormous <laughs> thing that we cannot break away from you know this cycle that we have created um, over the years and it's just it's a facade it's not real you know right yeah and it's it's really not. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. And it's like, I know, I can only speak from my own experience. Like, like you said, you always put on that face of, I'm strong, but on the inside, I'm like, I'm really not. No, <laughs> you're not. You want to ball, like, you want to be... Yes, I want to <laughs> throw things. I just want to lock myself in my room. And y'all fend for yourselves for like an hour or two. Just give me my minute. Just give me my minute. Yeah. Or you know, or like I just and uh it it, it was it, it was definitely difficult and it still is sometimes, but it's not as bad as it was when each child was young, where it felt like mm-hmm. I I felt that sadness or the anger of not having time for to do anything. But when people ask me, hey, what do you need help in? How, how are you feeling? I'm always like, oh, I'm fine. I'm okay. When in reality, it's like, I'm not okay. You can't you can't read through these lines. I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. And then and, and, and the other piece, too, is that, you know, when you have those other mothers who might be judgmental towards you, right? You don't mm-hmm. want to yeah or feel like you're not capable of being a mom or whatever that's supposed to mean in any way you know oh my gosh yes and that's that's i I feel like that's the biggest thing with um sorry dropping stuff over here um the biggest thing with us mothers is like you don't want to be seen as a bad mother (laughs) to other people and you see you only see like the outside of what everyone else is doing. So you're like, oh, they seem like such a great mom. What's wrong with me? Why can't I get myself together? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Look at that person. They're out here. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're taking care of X, Y, and Z. And I'm just out here like, what is wrong? But, and that's one thing that we just got to get away from. There is nothing wrong with the way you are parenting or how you are as a mom. Everyone is totally different. And that's what we we really have to drill in. I mean, it's hard to drill in when you're in those moments, but. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's hard. You know, those are things that we definitely, I agree, we got to emphasize on and celebrate. You know, some of those differences makes us unique parents on this journey, you know, in parenthood, especially motherhood. Um, mm-hmm. I, where the self-care comes into play too that sense of comparison right letting go of that comparison that's a, that's the self-care within yourself right because when yeah. you're not comparing yourself to others you have more freedom freedom mentally to engage in other things in your mind you are more present you're more cognizant of what you're doing in the here and now so that anxiety sort of dissipates a little bit because you're not too caught up in doing something that one your body may not be ready to do two you know you're just not interested in it but you're doing it because of a face you know right all of that causes the anxiety which leads to mental health but if you can break away from that sort of um uh what what, you know the, the that cycle of that comparison and really being learning to be okay with the failures that come 
with, with parents being mm-hmm. we, we, like I said, my child was just outside the door screaming, you know. Like I'm <laughs> you know, some mothers would be like, Oh my gosh, I'm seem like a bad mom that I can't control my kid. The reality is nobody can control their kids. You teach them, you know, you do what the best you can. Mm-hmm. You do, and as you see, you hear them kids in the background. Yeah. I, <laughs> I told them to hush, because I don't have yeah. a door in this little space I got. But mm-hmm. you see how they don't listen. But you know what? We just gonna keep it pushing. <laughs> we, we, listen, that's all we can do. Yes, that we just oh gonna keep it moving. Mm-hmm. So, in in regards to self care, what are some things that you, in your opinion, uh, it would be good for mothers to do to take care of themselves? And which will help them mentally and not just mentally, like physically, because I feel like we we don't take care of ourselves mentally. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes that that kind of floods into the physical because you're just like, I don't want to do nothing. I don't even like some mothers, you can see, they don't even want to comb their hair because it's just yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. like I, I, I don't have the energy. I don't have anything to to even give to myself because I need to take care of this person that yeah. relies on so relies solely on me right absolutely that's a really good question Caroline that really is um I think for the most part you know being okay with the minimum right being able to start from somewhere even if it's a cup of tea that you can make for yourself that oh, is yeah. good enough that that's that's self-care you know, being able, <laughs> yeah, just something that small. It doesn't mean you'll get up, dress, go get your nails done, your toes done, your makeup. You don't have to do all of that. Even the minimal, right. the minimal can also be you just taking a deep breath and you say, "What? I'm just gonna sit here. I'm gonna look at the sky and I'm just gonna count a time, or I'm gonna sigh for a little bit and do really some of those deep breathing. And you know that mm-hmm. mindfulness, like you know what? Right now what I'm doing I'm mindfully talking to Caroline I'm present in a conversation so that I can start translating motherhood that means that when I'm changing a diaper right I am in Mm -hmm. the midst of that and I'm mindfully changing a diaper I'm present in it so that means like your mind is not racing which will make you more tired you're present your heart rate is down it calms you down um, and then when you do the if you you know and the other thing too is like you got to challenge yourself along the way there has to be challenge challenge in a healthy way meaning like you know what if if you are a mom who used to work out and then the demands of motherhood it's getting to be overwhelming you know what just take three jumping jacks outside (laughs) three jumping jacks you start little baby steps i tell some of my clients and then you sort of um 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 um, you sort of work your way to, to that point where you need to be. And I know right. a lot of um, mothers who don't have the support to say, oh, my child can, you know, watch my kid for me so I can watch a movie, you know. Mm-hmm. But you, if you do have the support, that will be nice so you can get away for a little bit, you know. Right. But if you don't, you know, look look within your environment. What are some things that you can do? Can you put the child in a stroller and go for a walk if weather permitted? You know, um, and slowly settle break yourself. Journaling, write down your emotions, how you're feeling, that the, the frustration. You know, um, so mm-hmm. all of those things is really um, helpful. I like that. I used to, um, and I do it from time to time. I feel like I have these bursts of moments of, all right, I need to work out. So at night when the kids are asleep, 
I take like maybe four or five minutes. And um, I used to do it with my cousin, which is we kind of fell back on it. Now we got to get back into it. But that always made me feel good because that was my time. Right. Just work out. And then once we're done, you know, I, I can get back into my mother mode. But right. those are my moments of these are my my sacred time, children. <laughs> yeah, it is. And even if even though we weren't doing a lot, like we would do um, we would find like um, these five minute workout videos online on YouTube, which were great. And we did them. And in those moments, and even afterwards, like once it was done, because we did it via Zoom, we would sit, talk for a couple of minutes, and then, you know, that was it. But just those moments, and I think we did it for like maybe two months or so, just for those two months that we did it consistently every day, it felt so great. Because like you said, you, I I had that moment of my, even though I'm working out and I'm moving, like, but that was my woosah, because that was my time. But, um, but like you said, self-care is really, it's, it's definitely important. I feel like as mothers, we tend to, that seems to fall by the wayside a lot. And it's hard to really think of taking care of yourself when you're just like, oh my gosh, my kids, kids that I need to do this. We need to get here. And it's just, it becomes so overwhelming sometimes that you're just like I I don't even have time to breathe Mm -hmm. it feels like (laughs) it feels that way it really does it really does but it's like like you said just take those moments you know Mm -hmm. I've actually never tried journaling and I feel like I don't know does it does it help I've never yeah I am a queen of journaling. I have an app on my phone. I have like 10 journals because for certain people, like, you know, something may work for me. It may not work for you, but it doesn't right. try it. Right. So the thing mm-hmm. about journaling is if you have all of these things in your head, that's just twirling and, you know, you're ruminating over whatever. What it does is when you write it on paper, it clears that space in your mind and in your head. Hmm. It's like a removal. Okay. Hmm. So it's you write it down, and that's and after you write it down, you just have to get it out your mind. You have to stop thinking about it. Stop worrying as about you're, it. As you're writing it, it's it's coming out how you're feeling, mm-hmm. your emotion. And to be honest, it doesn't have to be anything. Certain some days I just write one word. Sometimes my clients will have a dissertation, which is fine. That's how they feel <laughs> that day. That is absolutely okay. Um, the other things too is that when you're journaling when you get through that tough period and you look back it's a sense of pride knowing where you've been and where you've come from you know you know like where you've been when you see the the progression the pain that you've been through you're like oh my god i have conquered one of the toughest time of my life you know it builds up your self-esteem it allows you to see how resilient you are you know as you're doing it it's helping you but then also when you get on the other side you're able to look back and say wow I've been through some stuff but I made it wow I need to try that that's that's I never thought about that of you know it's not just helping me in the moment but it'll help me in the future because like you said I'll look back and be like oh geez on April 23rd or whatever I was feeling angry look where I am now I'm a little happier now (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. And also, and then if you were to feel the same, you know, let's say you're on your third child, for example, and you mm-hmm. remember your postpartum journey of your second one or your first one, and if some of those symptoms are starting to come up again, you can like, ooh, I did this, and it was helpful. So let me go back mm-hmm. to that. Because sometimes we forget in the heat of the moment. But when you have those hits, historical things, you can go back to them and try them again because you already have that tool under you. That is so hot. That, thank you. Thank you, Ellie. <laughs> I'm going to write this down. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to... I I can certainly say I may not go through with it fully right now, but at least it's in my mind. It's up there. It's twirling. And one yeah. day I'm just going to write. Mm-hmm. And then I think as long as I write one word, <laughs> it'll lead to another on another day so that's, that's definitely something to think about so if any moms out there are thinking about different things to do for self-care definitely try journaling um i personally haven't done it but i'm i i i, I can definitely see the the value in it especially with like you said once you get to the other side just looking back mm-hmm. like can be your oh wow those moments are just like, look where I was. Now look where I am. Right. Or like you said, if you're on another child, you're just like, I felt this exact same way mm-hmm. <laughs> in the beginning of um, after having the ch- after having my child. And now look at so I know I can get I can get through this. I can pull through. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Mm-hmm. It is. I, that, it's, um, it's, 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 a, it's a big thing, you know. It, it really is. Um, Self care is a big topic, and it's also individualized. So you mm-hmm. have to know what works for A may not work for B. Yeah, it's yeah. really learning things that will work for you as well as you continue your journey. Right. Yeah. Everyone's got to figure out what they yeah. can personally do that can help them through. Correct. Yeah. And it's not, and it's, and it could just be trial and error. Cause I know I've had a few things. Yeah. And then if I start something, I'm just like, yeah, this, this is not for me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And with depression, they have to be on medications, right? And so, right. the psychiatrist or the doctor, they'll tell you, try this one. If it doesn't work, we'll modify it. We'll try something another. It, it, life is all about trial and error. If you don't try, you will never know. All right. So, you know. Just try different things. Something will work and then something's going to stick with you. And yeah. to the point where it's just like, okay, this is definitely what I can continue to do. Yeah. And this is making me feel good. This is taking me out of these moments of anxiety, or anger or whatnot. So I'll oh, definitely God. continue to do it. So, yeah. And like you said, self-care is such a big topic. We can definitely do Ooh. another episode on self-care, sis. So you're going to have to come back on. So. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, because it really is. And it's such a huge topic. And, you know, and, and if you want to cater to the Black community, that's a whole other conversation as well. Mm-hmm. The fear of different things that's going on as a, you know, Black mom. It, 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 it can go a million other ways you want to look at self-care. But whenever you're ready, Ellie would be here for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sis. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Lazy Moms Podcast. I definitely appreciate you taking the time out. And yes, we're going to have to do another episode on just self-care because it's 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 a real big topic and I feel mm-hmm. like 
for us as moms, we we definitely don't take care of ourselves. <laughs> yes, I agree. And I, I love the title of your podcast. Even that alone, it's okay to be lazy oh, sometimes. Thank That's you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much because my husband, okay, and my cousin is just like, I don't understand this. Like, well, why you got to call it the lazy moms? Like, that sounds so... I'm like, no, you got to think about it because moms, at some point, Mm-hmm. We want to be lazy. We want to have those moments of yeah. I'm not gonna do. I'm gonna do absolutely nothing mm-hmm. today. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I just want to sit down. If it's reading a book, or watching TV, or just being on my phone. Okay, don't judge. Let me just do me. Yeah. For these moments. Yeah, it's a beautiful we, thing being lazy sometimes. Right. It's like we yeah. have those short moments of being lazy, and those sometimes could be the best moments of our life because. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once they're over, we're back to the hustle and bustle of working, being a mom, or for some of us, being a wife, or being a teacher, mm-hmm. or, be, you know, whatever we do in our walks of life, like, you go back into it. So, that's why I was just like, you know, it's not about being lazy. It's about wanting to be lazy in right. certain points of the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and make, yeah, making that conscious choice because you know in that moment that's what you need. You know. Yeah. For your sanity. And it is okay. So if you someone calls the lazy, but that's why you call call a lazy. Someone calls right. call self care. <laughs> that's okay too. You know. Exactly. Call call, call. For you. Right. Call it whatever. As long mm-hmm. as you are getting the care of you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and that's that's why I call because for me I was like I I want a lazy moment. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, listen, there was I think the other day I was I was reading um, my Angela's book, a letter to my daughter, and I've been mm-hmm. on that book for ages. And every every day I try to read a paragraph, literally just a paragraph, and that alone wow. satisfies me. I'm still on the book. <laughs> but it's a paragraph each day. But hey, that works because it's just like if you don't have time to read a whole book, hey, a paragraph each day, you'll be able to finish the book at some point. Hey, no, nobody says there's a time limit right. on how long it how long you should take to read a book, okay? Right. And if there is, mind your business, those people. Yep. You'll be okay. <laughs> you'll be good. Like this is not for you. We're gonna read how to read. Shoot, yeah. I have my little e um nook e reader. And mm-hmm. I've been on my one of my favorite authors, Francis Ray, and yeah. I have a um, it's a romance novel, and I've been on this romance novel for a couple months. But mm-hmm. you know what? It's okay, because when I have free time, so I read a chapter. Mm-hmm. You know? I absolutely so, agree. It is okay. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for joining me on this episode, and I'm definitely look definitely looking forward to our next chat. Um. And thank you all, to all my listeners, for joining and listening in. If you have any questions for myself or even for Ellie, send them on. Mm-hmm. I have my um, my website is up, thelazymomblog.com. So find me there. And um, like I said, if you have any questions for Ellie, send send it off in there and I'll work to her. So thank you, Ellie. Thank you for taking this time out to speak with me. Of course. Anytime. Happy to be here. Yeah, let me know if there are any questions. I'll be more than happy to answer them. Awesome. I sure will. So y'all, y'all have a good night and join me for my next episode of the Lazy Moms Podcast.
welcome to another episode of the Lazy Moms Podcast. Today, I have two special guests with me. I have Melissa Adams and Sherlyn McFadden. Um, thank you, ladies, for joining me. Woo! Exactly. Um, You're welcome anytime. Thank you for joining me. So, you know, disclaimer before we begin is I, you know, I told my kids to be quiet. So, you know, you might hear some things in the background. <laughs> so as we go along, they'll, they'll be heard. But it's the Lazy Moms podcast, so y'all should be used to my children in the background. <laughs> but today's episode is going to be about fostering, being a foster parent, pretty much. Um, and these two ladies with whom I, um, I know both have had different experiences being foster parents. I know Melissa's um, fostering experience did not take place here in um, New York State, but Sherlyn, yours did, and they both look a little different. Um, so with those who might be interested in um, being a foster parent, this was this, I felt this would be a really good conversation to have and just to give more insight about um, being a foster parent and what all goes into it. So um, for whoever wants to answer first, why did you want to be a foster parent? Um, the reason I wanted to be a foster parent, um, I was a single mom. I, well, I was, I am. And I, I should say I was a single parent because I am, you know, I am looking to be a fiance soon, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am in a relationship. So I will say I was um, a single parent. And at the time I had, um, my son was, you know, he was a teenager and I just wanted to help another, um, child, you know, have kind of like a normal experience, right? My, my household is not a normal experience because it doesn't have the father and the mother in it, which would be kind of like a traditional, um, experience. So I wanted to help somebody that looks like me or, you know, that kind of looks like me that has some kind of African-American blood in them. So that's what I wanted to do just to help our community because we are the um, the community that doesn't, that gets overlooked a lot. Um, the black and the brown children get overlooked a lot, quite a bit. So yes, that's, why I, um, that's why I did it. And I did want a boy because boys are overlooked more than girls as well. They really are. I think people just, when they think about fostering, they kind of think of um, just the what they see on TV, <laughs> pretty much. So right. they don't know, they don't understand the ins and outs and um, really working with these children. And um, it's good to see that you, you went a non-traditional route of fostering a boy. Um, was there a certain age that you wanted to foster? Because, you know, like on TV, most people want babies or they want to adopt babies instead of right. a 13, 14-year-old. So- so I definitely did not want a baby. Um, that wasn't <laughs> something that I wanted to do um, at that time. I I definitely did not want to um, have another baby, which, you know, which years later, God blessed me with a little daughter. My daughter is 15 months today. However, oh, <laughs> thank you. However, I did not want to um, start all over. I wanted a <laughs> child that was, you know, out of pampers, at least in their, you know, not too old, but just at a great age. So I fostered a 10-year-old boy. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. How was that? 
Um, it was trying. Um, it was, you know, it was trying. I will say that he was not from Monroe County. He was from um, the county of Auburn. But the thing is, is that I did not deal with the county um, and I did not um, foster through Monroe County for different reasons. Um, I went to Cayuga, um, to Auburn County to foster and um, it was challenging because they have, theirs is a little bit more unique. My foster child came from a group home. Um, he was severely abused. Um, he had a lot of sisters and brothers. They, most of them were all separated. I think three were in the Bronx together. Wow. Him and his other brother was um, separated as well in New York State. So he was somewhere and his other brother was somewhere else. So it was five children. It was severe abuse case. Um, but, you know, it was really, it was a lot of dealing with a lot of things. Um, a lot of, you know, fat, the flat affect. It was dealing with, um, you know, trying to get him the, um, the, and speaking up for him too, you know, trying to get him the services that he needs that no one would, you know, say that he needed, like counseling. If there is abuse in the house, someone needs counseling, right? Right. That would be the kind first of thing. It is. But that's what I'm saying when I say our children are the ones that get looked over. Because mm-hmm. if it was, uh, you know, if it was little Billy, not trying to be controversial, but Billy would have got counseling, you know, out of that right. household. Right. That's so sad. That's yeah. sad. And you're and right. Then not, and okay. then not only that, he wasn't able to talk to his family. So, you know, even though, you know, he was ripped from his mother, which which as he should have been, right? Because we need to protect mm-hmm. our children. But right. even though he was ripped from his mother, you know, his, his family, you know, he lost all of that. Like none of his family, he was never able to talk to any of his family anymore. Wow. So that's hard. That's hard. He was not able to talk to his three sisters that, you know, that was separated. He wasn't able to talk to his brother that was, you know, that he was separated from. So it was just, you know, he lived in, you know, this abuse happened. He was lonely, you know, and you have no family members to turn to and you're turning to complete strangers. Um, At the end of the day, I will say that what I did for him, um, I voiced a lot of um, opinions. Um, I was a foster parent, so I was going hard, which I didn't care how they felt about me because guess what? They needed me, right? They needed me and they did not want him to return back to the group home. So my my strength and my, you know, voice and my opinion for him made it um, so that he got the help that he needed. He got the counseling that he needed. They want me to drive back and forth to Auburn. I was like, shit, no, I'm not doing that. You know, <laughs> I don't know who you thought I was, but yeah, we're not going to do that. And I don't care how you're going to get services, but it's going to be here and, you know, in our, in our city, right? That's right. So, so, so we did that. And then I was able to um, really advocate for him to at least be able to meet his brother, which was in the same state as him, right? Uh, he lives, so he lives like two miles away from his brother and he couldn't talk to his brother, which is crazy. 
that is ridiculous. Is there was there a reason why? Like confidentiality? There was there was no there was no um abuse that happened between him and his brother. The abuse happened between the father, the mother. So the father molested the sister, the mother kept them in cages, dog cages, and had like all over the ground. So, you know, there was that kind of abuse and um so there was no reason why he couldn't be, you know, with his sisters and brothers. But right. again, like I said, you know, we have when when we look at adoptions and our black and brown people, the little boys, they get overlooked. And especially as they get older, they're definitely overlooked. Right. So mm-hmm. the three, the three that was in the Bronx together were all girls. And wow. the boys were separated and they were separated between, you know, between different areas. They weren't even kept together as well. You know, the bo- the brothers weren't even kept together. That is so terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, that's that's ridiculous. I uh, I, I, I can't even imagine. And I definitely, I definitely understand. Um, I come from a family. My grandmother adopt. Um, my grandmother adopted kids. We had foster kids come in and out of our home all my life. Mm-hmm. So I understand the fact of people can't take all these kids together even though my grandmother did my grandmother they had it was four siblings she took all four of them I couldn't do it right but the thing is is that what my grandmother pushed for when um what my grandmother did push for is when one of the brothers he had to be placed in another home is that they Mm -hmm. always see each other you see you can push for that as a foster parent that they always continually see each other so that they know their siblings there's no reason why they don't have to you know if there's no sexual abuse that happened between them there's no reason why they can't see their siblings exactly I would think that to help especially if there's no abuse between the siblings so I would think that would be a reason to to keep them together so like you said they can know who their siblings are they can um at least have that connection although maybe their history might be you know have trauma but they'll be able to lean on each other but you're taking away that support that they that the only support that they had in that moment right i mean good bad or ugly right we all have family members that you know that we may be like oh you know (laughs) Yeah, that's that's little Ray Ray, right? Well, right. We have an ugly family member. If they, mm-hmm. you know, if we needed to talk or if they needed to talk to us, we are willing and, and able to be there, right? So the right. thing is, is that to rip children out from from the parents, which they should have been, but also to separate these children, that's another trauma on top of that, and then also not to get these children the help that they need with the trauma that they have going on and these are little beings they don't know what to do you know sometimes we as grown folks don't know how to handle you know situations that we're in so you know you take this big traumatic thing and then you don't give them the um the the tools that they need and then you want them to go into the community and be like you know this you know this class a you know community person no they're not right they're still dealing with the pain and the anger and the issues that they never recovered from when they were young. Wow. A, a, a question that I had, do they, even, do they provide any type of support services? It sounded like 
they really didn't. You had to really advocate for a lot of things that he needed. So the thing that they did um, provide for, they had, um, they did have a counselor and the counselor okay. wanted me to come to um, Auburn. And and Auburn is like mm-hmm. an hour and a half here. You know, I have another mm-hmm. child. I have a biological child, right? So as right. we say, I, would ha- I have a biological child. Not that that made a big difference, but you know, my biological child that I I have rights to, right? I have to take right. care of that. I have to take care of home first. I can't, you know, travel three hours a day coming back mm-hmm. and forth, right? So I'm like, you know, you guys are being unrealistic. Like there are so many, so many services in Rochester that are great services that can help him. So I said, you know, unless you guys are going to travel back and forth and come to my home and do the counseling in home, then he'll be getting it here. Like I'm not doing that, you know? Right. So that's what ends up happening. They end up coming here and they will come like once a week um, for maybe an hour and but the thing is is that what they did not do is they just talked to him alone right and then they would say oh we're gonna take you out to eat something or like they pacified the situation and it's like you know what not only is this child in a new environment but maybe that that you know I understand that there's trauma but maybe you should start with the new environment and then work through the trauma because there's, you know, you still have to have the trust in everything in the household as well. So, right. you know, so basically, like for me, you know, the separation when they did that, it was separating the household. So it's you mm. privately from me, not knowing what you said, but and not and not saying that I had to know every single thing that he said. But there, there should have been some family counseling within that, you know, so that right. everyone knew, but it wasn't. So I think that they went about it the wrong way. They were supporting him mm-hmm. instead of supporting the whole, you know, the whole, um, the whole household. household. Which is um, crazy to me because then how can you reinforce what he's learning within the counseling? If right. You don't know what's or, going on. And like you said, right. you don't have to know everything, but at least the the things that they're working on to help um, to help him get over his trauma or work through his right. trauma, you know, at least work through his trauma. If there's right. anything that may be bothering him about even being in the um, foster care system or anything that that's bothering him, right? At least let you know so you can at least reinforce that information or just go over it with him in the household so right. everything doesn't seem so disconnected. That is just. And, and and the one thing that they don't do is, you know, the, the thing that I um that I disliked about it is is this. I get I get that he has the trauma and the and the trauma had to be taken care of and it should have been taken care of way before you know he got to, you know, a household, right? But when you do get into a household, you have to build that structure, right? So then then what should be done is that a counseling session about the rules and the regulations, how how to be respectful in a household, how to do your chores, how to do this, how to do that, and then separately dealing with the issue of trauma, right? Instead of saying, oh, okay, well, I'm going to separate you guys and I'm just going to talk to him about his concerns and then I won't let you know. Well, in my household, that doesn't happen, right? If right. my child, if there's something going on with my child, 
I'm going to know it. If you close your right. door and I think that something's going on, I'll take the door hinges off, right? So it's like, <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> right, and, I'm, and I may be going overboard, right? But you cannot separate a parent from a child and think that the household is going to run well and that there's not going to be. Exactly. So, like, that, all that does is just like about it. It just develops discord between the two and it makes the kid feel that he right. doesn't belong even more because you're 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 putting that barrier between them yeah. and the foster parent and the foster family. And that's exactly. what you don't want. You want them to feel like they're part of the family. Mm-hmm. You want them to feel like they're getting the support. You want them to feel like this is home, you know, but you're 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 like causing that rift. Um, I don't know if it's knowingly or unknowingly, however way, but Right. Like, how can you develop a family unit if you're if you have that separation? Right, right. and that's and that's what you know. That's mm-hmm. what you know. I started telling them, like, listen, if you want to do a counseling session, you can do a counseling session, and he can have the 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 privacy. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to do a family counseling session, and they didn't want to do that. And I said, well, you know what? If you're going to do a counseling session, you're going to have to take him to Wendy's or something because you're not doing a counseling session here. We're not going to separate this household. So if if we're going to separate the household, I, I you know, he had he had Medicaid and all foster children have Medicaid, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll take him to a therapist where, where we could do family counseling and he can have his own separate counseling. But we're not going to separate, you know, we're not going to separate right. and make it just, okay, it's about him. And that is not about anybody else in the household because you can't you can't function you like can't that. Do that. Right. It just causes so much stuff. It's so sad. Right. So did you ever did you go ahead with a, a secondary therapist? So I didn't end up doing that because what they end up doing is that they end up laxing. They end up being a little bit more laxed. Okay. And um and he ends up actually closing closing to them like being more close to them mm-hmm. and being more open to me right so he uh-huh. would tell me things he would say you know you know I really love being here I really you have treated me better than my own mom you've never you know wow. like you've never hurt me you've never you know you always tried to help me so he would say you know caring uh-huh. things and you know and like I tell him listen I'm going to be hard on you because I want the best for you you know so right. I'm going to I'm going to do things that's worth you know that's going to be worth you know that's going to be your best at your best interest best interest right so I'm wow. I had for you know some years I had about 2 or 3 years and then um and then you know he was he was he was he he started as you know it was kind of like a little rough patch and then it got better and it was just like smooth selling right Oh, selling after after maybe after maybe like three months it, it really became like you know he belonged here it was just easy going all that stuff but then he started you know he started saying and talking to me and just saying you know I really would want a dad in the fit in the household and I was like listen baby I can't I can't look I can't give you what I don't have okay I, hey I can't give you what I don't have now and I did tell him you know listen <laughs> Listen, what we can do is we can start looking at other places. Like we can start looking at other houses and other families. Mm -hmm. And if you feel comfortable 
you're allowed to go with the other family if that's something that you want to do I said this is all up to you this is you know your decision but you know once you feel comfortable and you want to go with another family that has a father in the house that's okay you know that's okay that's it's not you know it I'm not gonna look bad on you and 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 I was I I was a foster parent and I was also respite so I was able to do respite so when he did go to the other family I was gonna be his respite you know so he would always come back here so if they went on vacation for the father and the mother and they weren't taking the kids he would always come back here So he he kept that connection. Right. So he ends up um, going with the family and, um, and he was, he was a white and black um, child. So, so he went with a family. They, they had a mother and a father. I think he had a sister as well. It was a sister there. They had dogs, cats, and he liked animals. They had dogs, cats, and they also had um, horses. Wow. So they they allow him to start working on the farm and he loved it. And wow, so awesome. I noticed that he loved it and I sat him down and I had a conversation and I was like, listen, I'm not going to be selfish. If you seem like you're happy, you should be happy. If this right. is what you want, you are okay to, you know, you are okay to be happy. Right. You know, don't stay because you think that I'm going to be upset because you can always come back. always come back my doors are never closed but if you are happy you are able to go so he ends up um he ends up starting to stay there on the weekend so he would be here monday through friday and on the weekends he would go and then he said he said i'm ready and i said okay and he said well if i'm ready can i take my bike i said no you gotta leave that bike here no i didn't say that You know, I told him, I said, no, you can take your bike. He took his scooter. You know, he took he took everything. And I was like, you can take whatever is yours. You are more than welcome to take, right? And then he, he said, can I have a picture of you? And I gave him a picture. And I wrote my number on the back of it. And then he, he said, okay. And he left. And he, call, he called every now and again now. Not as much, you know, not as much when he first left. Because when he first left, he called me every night. But now, you know, I may hear from him every now and again. I don't hear from him as much. But, yeah. But he just, he said, if I ever get rich, I'm coming to look for you. (laughs) I said, and I'll be here. (laughs) Right. Um, Remember me. Now, did you ever think to to adopt uh, a, a child that you fostered? So I never, so adoption is a little bit tougher mm-hmm. and you don't, see, I never wanted to adopt. Um, okay. I was, I was always open for them to stay as long as they want, but I never wanted to adopt. Okay. Um, I never got there with, um, and, and not that, and not that I probably wouldn't, but I just never got there with, you know, any of the children. Um, with with anything so so this is the way that the um that the system works right so if you get a one-year-old child or if you get any any child right and their parents lose them let's say the parents lost them at 10 years old the parents still have a right to their children so they can visit their children whenever they want they can do all that until they lose that right 
once they lose that right, which usually is a year, the courts usually um, have them lose the rights after a year of like no contact or being uncompliant, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if, so let's say like a mother lost a child and they tell her, okay, you got to go to anger management classes, you got to go to parental classes, or you got to do this. If they fail to come to certain classes, they give them time after chance, after chance, after chance, right? If they feel like they're just taking advantage, they won't. Like as long as, even if they're not compliant, right? And they still come and see the child, the courts think that they're making an effort. So it's like, okay, you're still in limbo. And some mm-hmm. of, sometimes what happens is that these parents, they have just a little bit like a string hold onto these children and they're never adoptable because they never lost their rights. But the ones that do lose their rights, um, you are able to adopt after a adopt year. Them. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. Yeah. The ins and outs of being a foster parent. So interesting. Yeah. Wow. How many um, children do, um, can you say that you've fostered through the years? So I fostered one that was currently oh. in my house, but oh. I did respite for probably 15. Wow. So respite can be anything. So like, let's say, let's say um, they have a child and they say, hey, we um we have this child and we don't have a placement for them right now is mm-hmm. you know we don't want them to go into the group home setting are you able to do respite respite pick respite a little bit of respite, respite. Can be, <laughs> right I'm, I'm struggling here respite can be um three weeks it could be a day it could be months wow you know so it's just saying that I'm not, I'm not the foster parent. I'm just waiting on the foster parent, right? So I could be arrested right. to that, or I could be arrested if if a child is already placed and they say, oh, okay, well, we're going on vacation for two weeks, and I say, oh, okay, well, I can do his respite and he can come here. Oh, so yeah. Okay. Wow, that is so interesting. Yeah, I know what you see on TV is definitely different than what's on. <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not the same. It definitely it really isn't. Yeah, it really isn't. And, and that it takes a and, special kind of person. And both it do. Of you it do. More to you. And the thing is, is that it's easier. A lot of people do like getting babies because it's easier to have babies because you can kind of mold them, right? Mm-hmm. Mold them into what you want. Even if they're drug babies, they'll go through withdrawal and they'll, you know, have their their issues. But you can still mold them into, you know, kind of what you want and you get used to them and you grow up with them, right? Right. Where, where you get a, a 10, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, and they just drop into your household. And then you have to deal with that child just like that. Right. I think that's what people, when getting older kids, well, at least for me, that's what I would think is the hardest thing is because if you get an older child, like you said, they've already become the person that they're semi gonna be. Um, so it'll be a little difficult to try to not change them, but kind of acclimate them. Whereas a baby, it's you know, they're a baby. So right. <laughs> so much easier to take care of that. that things like that. And then the thing is, is that let's, let's not pretend like, you know, 
um, foster, foster, being a foster parent can be very rewarding, right? Just like you said, like a baby, you can, you can kind of mold them. When they're in, in elementary, they may act out a little bit, but you can, you can kind of reel them back in. Once they get a little older into teenage years, not that you can't reel them back in, but sometimes they have set behaviors and it takes a little bit more to reel them back in. I mean, I have a friend who, you know, the good, the good thing is, is that when you do reach these children and they're in your household, you love them. You, you you know, you, they, you know, sometimes like I, with my foster child, I would say, you know, he was 10. Um, you know, I loved him. I, you know, I was able to reach him. You know, I was able to change him, uh, you know, and into a better person, right? And, and he was good. But, you know, I have other friends who were foster parents and it didn't go that way. You know, you, you, you have the good, you have the bad, and you have the ugly. Where they're still in your cars and they're older kids and, you know, they're vandalizing your homes. And, and it's not that easy to get them out your house. So, you know, it's not as easy as just picking up a phone and saying, no, I want them out. Right. Because oh, wow. it's not that easy. I would think it would be. It's a, it, So it sounds like it's a whole process. Yeah, it's a process unless you make a big deal about it. Wow. Yeah. Well, this will pivot me on to Melissa. Now we're on to you. I know you said that your fostering experience was a little different. Like you said, oh, it was a lot different. When I listened to Sherlyn, oh my goodness, I I <laughs> I, I picture, you know, the the progressive Democrat and the conservative Republicans. That's how bad <laughs> our differences are. Think about January sixth. Oh yeah. my gosh. I'm I'm <laughs> serious because um, I was I was a group home foster parent, and it was not in um, New York State system. So um, I fostered in Pennsylvania, and the system that I was in, or the organization that I fostered through, they ran. They owned the homes. They found foster parents. They came and put them in the homes, and they assigned you the kids you had no say over who oh, came wow. into your, into the home and wow. each of the homes that were set up um we each had six kids in our home it's either a, it was not a co-ed it was either um you fostered boys or you fostered girls i prayed really hard they placed me in a home for boys oh my God. they they wouldn't let me <laughs> girls the girls are something else Yes, they are. Oh my gosh. I will I prayed really hard <laughs> to get a boy's home because before they placed me as a new foster parent coming into their system, I provided um respite to the uh, existing foster parents. So they put me up in an apartment and um as the foster parents of the homes that they had set up went on vacations or had days off, they would have me go in to be the respite foster parent in that home. And so I was able to experience what it was like to be the foster parent of a home for boys versus girls. And they had, I believe that the agency had um, around 16 group homes throughout. Wow. Um, 
the area. I uh, I was not too far from, um, I was in Bucks County, so I was not too far from Philadelphia. A lot of our kids came from the Philadelphia area. And, okay. and I'll tell you, um, when I became a foster parent, I, it was kind of a fluke. I was just looking for something different. Um, I knew that I wanted to foster at some point because I personally have never had children. I wanted to have children. It just never was in the cards for me. So I wanted to at least do that. And um, I just picked up the phone and called when I saw an ad in the paper. I didn't realize that um, after that phone call that I would just end up um, moving (laughs) from Rochester, New York to um, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So, wow. um, but one of the things that we had in our com- um, our conversations before they pulled, um, they brought me on, is that most of their um, group homes were housed, were staffed. I mean, with couples. So oh. all of the other group homes that they had, there was two parents there. I was the only one that they brought on that was a single group home foster parent and one of the things that they promised me was additional support because the the reason why they had the couples is one of the couples was required to not have a job mm-hmm. so um, one member of the fa- one one member of the couple they were able to go out and work full-time do their thing come back but there was always going to be one dedicated person that was going to be there for the kids and the reason for that is because um, not only did they run the group homes, they also ran schools that the kids went to. And oh. so sometimes the foster parents were required to go into the schools because all of the kids were there in the group home setting because of behavioral issues. Um, some of them had legal involvement, um, pending cases, um, a lot of behavioral issues. So they had to go to an alternative school. And there were times where the foster parent was required to go into the school be- um, because there was a problem and um, even bring them back to the group home for the day because they couldn't stay in school. So they needed someone for that. Wow, that's so interesting. So yeah, it was, <laughs> yes, it was interesting. It was interesting. And um they promised me extra supports because the way it's set up is, you know, um, they for within a month, I believe they had a full weekend off, meaning they were off for three nights. But on a regular week, they would be off for the evening. So someone would come in for the evening and give them two evenings off a week. Not a full day, but a, like an eight hour evening. Right. Oh, I wish I had that. Right. Um, That's actually pretty so, they actually said that they would do that for me and then provide even more support for me. Um, it just didn't happen because they didn't have the staff involved. And sometimes I didn't even have my evening because of staffing issues, um, people calling off, people not showing up, or if there were problems within the group home because the kids were acting up. Because wow. the kids, so you had yeah, 24-7? I was 24-7. Oh, and that inc- that meant that meant that even if the kids were home, they were they needed to be supervised. So 
So it wasn't, oh, you have six kids in the house, you're teenagers, because um, the youngest would be 13 all the way up to 18. Or whenever they, you know, um, graduated from um, high school. Um, So if they were home, they went with me everywhere. So if I had to run to the store to get groceries for the house and there was a kid at home, they went with me. Sometimes if I had to go out and all the kids were home, all the kids had to go with me. Oh, it, did they it, provide a vehicle? <laughs> they provided a vehicle. I had a vehicle, but this, but it's a it can be a problem when you have kids who have behavioral issues. That I have one. Mm-hmm. I have one kid who needs to go to the doctor or urgent care in the evening because they don't feel well. I have to round up all six kids. All of them. Some oh, of them are like, That's, she's not sick. There's nothing wrong with her. I'm not leaving. I can't leave and leave that child behind. I have to somehow coax that child into getting in the car so that all six of us can go to the urgent care or the hospital for that, the one that's oh, feeling that. Didn't they feel sorry for him? <laughs> it was, it was trying. Was support. Oh my goodness. So yeah, they told me that they were gonna give me that support. <laughs> and if I needed to, I can call the on-call number and say, hey, this is what's going on. I need some support. They said that they would be there for me, but unfortunately, because of staffing issues, that wasn't the case. It never was the case. It just never happened. Wow. That it just never that. happened. Jeez, but that's terrible. How long did you it, do this for? I did this for a little over four years. When I got tired, wow. I came home to, back home to Rochester, <laughs> but I did it for um, a little over four years. And the reason why I decided to leave is just because I had some issues with my kids and um, because I was making phone calls and asking for support and not getting it, um, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, There was one particular, yeah, there was one particular time I called um, my supervisor on call and said, um, especially about one particular child. I said, if you don't come right now and get this child out of my home, I can't guarantee that I won't put my hands on her. <laughs> did they come? They did not come. Oh my gosh. I didn't put my hands on the child, but you know, as a parent, oh, I'm yes. sure you know there are times when mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. want to <laughs> help them see Jesus. Yes, <laughs> like the Lord. L- listen, this is gonna be the day where it's gonna be me, you, and the Lord. Yeah, because because and and like I, I go back to, again to I really wanted to have boys because I I witnessed boys hanging out in a group home. They would have knockdown, dragout fights, and then twenty minutes later, they're playing basketball they're in the yard. Right. Like the that's girls. how boys are. Like they what? That, it's it's crazy how they they work. <laughs> yes, and the girls they held grudges. They were petty. Yep. Mm-hmm. They did nasty things to each other. The unfortunate mm. thing about a group home foster kid is that they traveled with their whole life. Their whole life mm-hmm. could be in a garbage bag. Wow. And when you come into a group home and then you have one one um, particular child who doesn't like another 
how is she going to um how is she going to stick it to that one child she's going to destroy her things wow and when you're destroying her things you're destroying everything she owns okay mm. yeah girls can't so, be petty Mm-mm. yes Mm-mm. but you know i mean that's like that's the ugly side I can say some really positive things about my experiences there because I I truly there's some children that I had in my home that I still have relationships to, um with to this day and um I haven't fostered in um let's see about 10 years. Wow. Or, Would you want to go back to not, at least not that type of fostering? I will never Would do you? that type of fostering, but <laughs> I had I had to consider <laughs> I had considered fostering again and I may still foster again. Um, I have a lot on my plate right now, as you know. (laughs) Yes, you do. Okay. (laughs) I do have a lot on my plate, but I would love to foster again if I am able to kind of just slow down because, you know, having (laughs) having two plus jobs plus running a nonprofit ministry is a lot. Um, But I would love to do it again. I mean, there's there's the bond that you can create with some of these kids, especially knowing where they come from. There's right. there's no there's nothing I can I can't even put it into words how special it can be. Um, and when I left when I, <laughs> when I left, there was one particular young lady that I would have loved to bring back with me, and she wanted to come, and I wanted to try and make it work for her to um come back um, to New York with me but unfortunately because um, her parents rights weren't completely terminated um, Mm -hmm. she could not leave the state of um, Pennsylvania wow but she would have loved to come and um, stay with me she um, that one I would have if I could have there there was the means to do so I would have um done whatever I could to keep her in my home indefinitely and raise her. Um, huh. But unfortunately, it just didn't work out that way. But okay. the the kids and the system and the way things were, uh-huh. um, it was just, it was just very unique from what I know of foster um, parenting um, here in New York. And um, right. my background, I, I know a lot of people who have fostered. My grandparents were foster parents they had a lot of kids in and out of their home so I've seen it um but it what I did looked nothing like that (laughs) I I can imagine oh my goodness nothing like that I can't tell you yeah 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 well God bless me the Lord (laughs) knows that I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown before I came back (laughs) all six girls for four years House. Oh, <laughs> for a long years, but he kept you, girl. Yes, Great he did. Girl. Yes, he did. I thank the Lord for keeping me because there were times when I didn't think I could be kept. It was, mm, it was a struggle. Like it was a struggle. Um, they very much, um, the organization that I worked for, they very much um, wanted the group home setting to mimic what was going on in school. So they they very much believed in um, bringing bringing issues problems to the circle. They did circle time a lot. Mm-hmm. So if there was an issue school wide, all the kids in the school would circle up, 
they would just sit there sometimes in silence until somebody cracked to say, okay, I did it. And, but sometimes the circle would last for so many hours. School would end. They, the school would call and say, we had circle. It was unresolved. You have to continue the circle at home. Oh, so the kids would come. Yeah. The kids would come home from school. I got, I would have to tell them, got a call from the school. We have to circle up. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. <laughs> That's why you'll that never is... see me do circle time now. Mm. <laughs> circle time. I, I, I wouldn't it want to be punishment. there. I it was a punishment. It well, was a punishment. thank you so much, Melissa and Sherlyn. I think we lost Sherlyn for a little bit. But thank you both for sharing your experience. It's definitely two separate, two different type of fostering experiences experiences both very interesting but thank you for being here and sharing your experience and hopefully you know it can help another person who may be thinking about um, being a foster parent or they may be going through as a foster parent and they think that no one else um has ever felt the way you they felt well you got to that hat so (laughs) yeah and i know that um um Sherlyn and I said some of the things that we had to fight and some of the things that were um, a struggle for us. But mm-hmm. the reality of it is being there for a kid and being there during some of their very difficult, the most difficult times of their lives is very rewarding. So I wouldn't trade the experience at all. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I wouldn't do it all over again. I probably would choose traditional if mm-hmm. I could foster again. But right. I would never go back and say, I wish I had never done that because relationships that I built with those kids and some of those kids have gone on to do amazing things. And, um, cause I do. You guys definitely helped to mold these kids. So most definitely, I'm sure, I know you've made an impact in their lives and all the lives of the kids that you fostered and helped and mentored. So thank you so much. And my kids coming back down. Well, they came the right time when we were wrapping it up. I know, when we're wrapping up. But thank you so much, Melissa and Sherlyn. And thank you all for listening on this episode of the Lazy Moms Podcast. Make sure to join me on my next episode.